Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5. We're looking at the first seven verses. I've entitled uh, morning's message, Dreams, Visions, and Angel Revelation. Verse 1. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to here rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. And do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity. And a fool's voice is known by its many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. And do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that he was in an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity, but fear God. Two verses here that are repeated, three and seven, gives me an opportunity this morning to do sort of a a message on how God does speak. And uh, everybody here dreams. I, I dream almost every night I have a dream. And uh, in verse 5 here, it tells us that one of the reasons that we do dream is because of the activities of uh, the day's events. Um, they don't last. You, you can never remember them. They're, they're there only a few moments after you wake up. And um, one of the reasons that we have dreams is because of what you were involved with that day, what you were thinking about, and that's sort of a weird thing because it sort, of, it sort of makes itself up. It blends different stories together. Often in the morning when we wake up, um, I'll tell Judy, I just had this crazy dream. And then uh, last week she said, well, I had a dream. And I said, really, tell me about it. And um, she said, well, we're at church. And when we get to the part we turn around and greet the person like we always do here at Calvary. She said she turned around and there was Donald Trump. (laughs) And his whole family was there. She was reading a chick track. This is a chick track. They've been around forever. And on the cover, this one says, this was your life, but on hers it said Donald Trump. So she turned around and handed the track to Donald Trump, and she told him he needed to get saved. <laughs> and then she woke up. And that's a true story. I asked Ed, who's sitting behind uh, Judy this morning, I said, when, when you introduce yourself, just say you're Donald Trump. <laughs> on the other hand, there's the lightheartedness of dreams. On the other hand, Hebrews 1, verse 1, said, got it various times and in different ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets. But not just the prophets, it says in various ways has in his last days spoken to us by his son who he has appointed heir of all things 
through whom also he made the worlds. Various ways God communicated to his people, primarily through the prophets, but also, as we're going to see this morning, through dreams and visions. Uh, The high priest was equipped with something that was called the Urim and the Thummim. And we really don't know what they were. We do know that you could ask the high priest a yes or no question. For example, King David, shall I go to war against the Philistines? Because I want to know if you're in this or not, Lord. If you're in it, I want to go. But if you're not, I don't want to go. And um, different speculation. Uh, Some people think they were two stones, one black, one white. And one would actually light up. They mean light and perfection, but we're really not sure. All we know for sure is that the will of God could be determined in such a way. So God at various times spoke in different ways. What I want to talk about this morning is how God communicated and got messages through using dreams. So the dreams that we're going to talk about now are not the ones that are referenced here, where it's a human dream that means absolutely nothing and can be very foolish indeed, but actually a divinely inspired dream that God gives to communicate. And with that being said, let's go to Genesis chapter 37 and look at the life of Joseph and we'll look at two dreams that he has here. Genesis 37, let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, now Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And so he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. And there we were, binding sheaves in in the field, and behold, my sheave rose and also stood upright, and indeed, your sheaves stood around and bowed down to my sheave. And his brothers said to him, shall you Shall you indeed rule and reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him. Well, the answer to that question is yes. He ended up in Egypt, the second most powerful man in the world. And he was dressed as an Egyptian. And and his brothers didn't recognize him. They were in need of food because of the famine. And they actually bowed down to him. This came to pass. All right, the next dream, verse 9. Then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? You see, his father understood the meaning of the dream that he was the sun and his mother was the moon and the brothers were the stars. Now, this indeed also happened. But let me just get a little sidetracked here and explain the importance of book-by-book and verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Um, When we go through a systematic study through the Bible, certain dots eventually will be connected. And um, false doctrine can be corrected more easily when you have a grasp of the entire volume of the scriptures. Uh, 
Now, having said that, I want to give you an illustration of what I just said. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12. We have some symbolism. Many people, many churches steer away from the book because they say it's just um, figurative and symbolic. And in one sense, that's accurate in that there is symbolism. For example, in the first three verses of chapter 12, we read, Now I saw a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Symbolism. The woman's a symbol. The child is a child, but we don't know here yet who it is. And then we have this red dragon, and that's symbolic. But... Usually, without exception, when there's symbolism, as almost always explained in the same chapter. And if not, it is explained in the Old Testament, primarily the book of Daniel. But in this case, we have um, the woman, woman's identity revealed to us because of the dream of Joseph. Now, this is Matt, Matthew Henry's Commentary. Guys, you can put up on the screen our picture of Mary. If, when we were in Rome, we took pictures of this. This is Mary, and she has um, uh, the stars on her head, and she's standing on the moon. And basically, what they're telling us is Revelation 12, verse 1 the woman here is the church. This is one of the most respected commentators that I have in my library, Matthew Henry's. And uh, even he, when you turn to Revelation 12 and you read his explanation of who the woman is, he basically says, we see here how the church is represented in this vision. And I could go on and read the whole chapter why he says so. My point is that this is not a reference to um, the church. For one reason, she's pregnant. And if the church is pregnant, we have a problem. <laughs> and uh, more importantly, when you get to the rest of the chapter, we find that in verse 7, that Satan's going to be kicked out of heaven, the fiery red dragon. The symbolism there is explained to us. The child, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us as soon as the child was born that, uh, that the, the uh, fiery red dragon wanted to devour the child. Well, that really happened. Only Satan possessed Herod, who commanded that the first uh, male children in Bethlehem be put to death. Matthew chapter 2 will be there this morning. So the importance of studying the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we run across the dream that Joseph has, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. Not a picture of the church. It's a picture of Israel. And when you follow the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Matthew chapter one gives it straight across. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob follow that line through David. And uh, the Lord told David that he was gonna build him a house and that meant to David that his lineage, he, David is known as the son of who? David. Jesus is called the son of David, of the lineage. So the woman, and we have this understanding in the interpretation given to us because God gave Joseph a dream that later would give us the identity of Israel being the woman and not the church. First of all, the church isn't even on the planet at this time. People are getting saved. But if you go to verse 13, we find that it's in verse 12, the devil knows that he has a short time and he goes to make war against the woman. And because he's in great wrath, and in verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now this is Israel. And we could do a whole uh, study on just this one verse right here using the Old Testament to show where Israel is going to run to. We could talk about Matthew 24 when you see the abomination of desolation in the middle of um, uh, the tribulation then flee into the wilderness. That's what's happening here. It's not the church, but it is Israel that's on the run as they're... Um, seeking refuge. And really this is the reason the enemy is doing this. He's already been defeated at the cross. And the only hope he has is the annihilation of the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. That's why they're always under attack. That's why um, I believe what's going to happen, i got to be careful getting too sidetracked here already. I Fully believe because of the oil has just been discovered up on, up on the Golan Heights, and it's a lot of oil. And Russia just happens to be bringing in a whole lot more troops at, at this time. That I believe there's going to be a UN resolution that's going to call for Israel to go back to its 1967 borders. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about, a lot about that in Israel. Now, the significance of that is don't think Russia is down there for any political reasons. They're well aware of the gigantic natural gas supply just discovered off the shores of Haifa. And now this major find of oil. If you take the Golan Heights and go back to 1967, it becomes a part of Syria again, not Israel. So it'll be interesting as we watch that unfold. All right, that's dream um, number one. Let's go to uh, two examples. I want you to turn to the book of Daniel now. As we look at another dream, Daniel chapter 2, picking it up in verse 36, they're in captivity. Nebuchadnezzar is king. And this is one of the more important chapters in the Bible because it lays out world history from the point of view of what world leaders would have full and total dominance over the planet. And... um, When all is said and done, there will be seven. As we pick it up here, Nebuchadnezzar is having a dream about the kingdoms that would come after him. He sees this image, and it's made up of gold and silver and iron and clay. And nobody can figure it out. Not his wise men, but um, they hear about Daniel having this gift 
of being able to interpret dreams. So they called Daniel in. And he says, well, let's get something straight here. I'm no better than anybody else. Um, But God is the one in heaven, verse 28. God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in, notice, the latter days. And it's important that you catch this. Even though it was a dream that's going to be fulfilled throughout history, primarily, and especially for us, it has to do with the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head on your bed were these. So now he begins to tell exactly what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. As you, O king, thought about your mind while on your bed, about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart, you, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and it was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched, and while a stone was cut out without hands, struck the image of its feet of iron clay and broke them in pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like the chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the entire world. Now, this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of the dream to the king. Verse 37. O king, you are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, He has given them into your hands, and he has made you ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. And that sort of was just settling into Nebuchadnezzar, and then then Daniel had to say, but after you shall rise another kingdom inferior to yours than, than another, and then a third kingdom of bronze shall rule over the earth. Now I'll just tell you what who they are. Um, the first one in world history was the Egyptians, then the Assyrians. And you remember that God took care of the Assyrians. Remember, one angel one night, 140,000. That was pretty much the end of Sennacherib. He died that night. The fall of the Assyrian, the raising of the Babylonian. So as Daniel is interpreting the dream, he's living during the time when King Nebuchadnezzar was the world ruler. But the Medes and the Persians are going to defeat Babylon. And then Alexander the Great, the Grecian Empire, is going to defeat them. And then the Roman Empire is going to come. And the Roman Empire has the the last empire 2,000 years ago that had world domination. But what he goes on to explain here is there's going to come another one. When? In the latter days. Let's finish reading. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. 
As for the toes, we all have ten toes, so remember that. We're partly of iron, partly of clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, in the days of these kings, and all of a sudden these ten toes aren't toes anymore. What are they? Kings. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. And I like this. He says, the dream is certain, and the interpretation is true. Revelation seventeen twelve says, the ten horns, here are their ten toes. And it says, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So what, is, what we have in view here is yet future, but it's forming as I speak right now. There's a lot of talk about it. And um, a lot of talk about the Antichrist. I believe we need to turn a couple pages to Daniel chapter 9 because I'm going to do one more little sidetrack. And I want to point out the identity of the Antichrist. This is a hot topic right now. A lot of discussion about it. Daniel 9, and the reason I added dreams, visions, and angel revelation is Daniel is praying, and while he's praying, Gabriel appears to him, and we find that out in verse 21. It says, Daniel was praying, and while I was speaking in prayer, Gabriel, who I had seen in a vision, came to me. Daniel just wanted to know, when were we going home? He said, we'd be here for 70 years, and the first verse of Daniel 9, verse 1 says, I was studying Jeremiah, and it said we were supposed to be here 70 years, and then we could go home. Well, it's been 70 years, so he's praying. Can we go home? Well, Gabriel shows up and um, tells him, I like this, and be reassured that the Lord loves you too. Gabriel tells him, I want you to know, Daniel, I've come to tell you that you're greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. God loves you guys. And uh, we need to have a real heartfelt understanding of that. Jesus said, I don't, I don't call you servants. I, you're my friends. He says, a master doesn't tell his servant anything. But he says, he does his friends. And so I tell you everything. I just I'll lay it all out. Here it is. The Lord loved Daniel, so what did he do? He showed him everything. I mean, he laid out everything. This is the most significant prophecy I believe in the Bible. Because it points to the very day that the Messiah would come. And that's in Daniel chapter 9. He tells how many years he's going to work with Israel for 490 years after um, a declaration is going to be made to rebuild Jerusalem. And to the day, uh, the only time Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped happened to be April 6, 32 AD. We call it Palm Sunday. It comes from 
this book, and it tells you right to the day. Well, I'm more interested this morning about the Messiah being cut off in verse 26, but not for himself. The book of Daniel talks about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And it says he's going to be cut off. The Hebrew is karat, and it means to be executed. He's going to be executed, but not for himself. Well, that's what we were doing this morning in communion, remembering what he did for us. Now this verse, and the people of the prince who is to come, future tense. So there's a people, and uh, the people of, the, of a prince. So we're talking about a personage right now. And he's part of a people group, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It can only be the Romans. It was the Romans who came and destroyed uh, the sanctuary. And this connection in here is the people of the prince who is to come. Now this prince, when he comes, um, in verse 27, then he, the he is a reference to the prince. This is the Antichrist. He will confirm a covenant. In other words, it's going to be a peace treaty that's going to be signed with Israel uh, for one week. Now, one week is seven years because 70 weeks, um, the, the term, terminology there is we say, well, it's a decade. If I said, I'll see you in a decade, how, when you, how long am I going to be gone for? Nobody knows. <laughs> All right, 10 years. See you in 10 years. What if I said, I'll see you in a week? <laughs> and so it'd be seven years is what's being said here so he will confirm who's he the antichrist so who is he well he's got to come from the roman empire dwight why are you making such a big deal about this and i'll tell you why i make this point because there's a false teaching there's a book out by joel richardson called the islamic antichrist and people are reading it and they're starting to um second guess these scriptures here that I think are uh, very clear. I was upset by it, and um, we had Mary do a critique, and you can pick one up after the service if you want to. I'm going to read one page from it this morning, and it comes from her contender series. It's called, Does the Bible Speak of an Islamic Antichrist? Bear with me as I just read a page or so. Now, The book itself presents enough of Mr. Richardson's eschatology to be confusing, some of which is treated too quickly, without balance to do justice to the overall text and flow of Bible prophecy, i.e. Ezekiel's war. He covers briefly why he considers the Gog of Ezekiel 38 and 39 to be the Antichrist. And he also attempts to place the many other nations mentioned in this prophecy in the area of Turkey. He believes that the Antichrist will arise out of the old Ottoman Empire, more on that later, as though their placement proves or disproves the involvement with Russia either way. A simple reading of Ezekiel 38, 15 tells us that in the last days invaders will come from this place out of the far north, Turkey, question mark. Last I looked, Turkey is located nowhere near this geographical description. Moscow, almost due north of Jerusalem, and qualifies as the uttermost parts of the north. 
Consider who is arming Israel's enemies for a future confrontation as they will not just sit idly by and watch. Russia has been selling arms to Iran, Syria, Yemen, and many other nations for decades. Now, this, this book is a little bit dated. All I have to go back and tell you how many troops and planes Russia has been sending in just this last week as they're putting more boots on the ground. So this is a little bit outdated. Richardson takes on a revived Ottoman Empire, also negates Europe as the final world kingdom, which gives birth to the Antichrist by conclusively defining who the empires are that are listed in Revelation 17. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And so he places the Ottoman Ottoman Empire, which existed up until 1909 as the seventh, which therefore could return as the eighth, with Antichrist coming out from it. He, he, therefore, being Muslim. I found this line of thinking interesting. However, he has also said in a recent article, the final world empire spoken of by Daniel can't be the revived Roman Empire because Rome never conquered Babylon. And right there you stop and go, huh? <laughs> At least I do. A comment which seems to be a lack, indicate a lack of understanding of Daniel chapter 2 and world history and causing me to question any other scholarship on the issue. No one I ever, no one I know has ever taught that Rome conquered Babylon. Rather, it was one in the succession of nations that conquered the, the empires that followed Babylon. And I took you through them this morning. Um, Medo-Persian, Grecian, Roman. That, that's historical, and that's what Daniel 2 is all about. A succession that the Lord obviously deemed important for us to understand the prophetic um, reason and in its brutality was well known when it filled the earth. It will fill the earth once more, producing ten kings that will take this old earth from the kingdom of man to the kingdom of God. And then she quotes Daniel 2.44. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom. Um, we do not carry his book in our bookstore, all right? <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. But I know people are asking questions about it. If you want, to, if you want the whole track, you can um, pick it up after the service this morning. All right, point made. Um, continue on. Two examples from the Old Testament, and the reason I picked out these two dreams, because they're inspired by God, and they have been fulfilled 100% accurately. Let's look at two from the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, dreams and visions. Well, I'm just going to, there's many, of course, we could choose from, but I'm just going to give you two from the New Testament now. The visit of the wise men, they reveal that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. And verse 13, now, when they had departed, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night 
and departed for Egypt. And it was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now I don't have it in my notes to continue, but because we were just in Revelation 12, and it says as soon as the male child was born, the dragon was there to devour the child, right? Well, if you read on what happens next, Herod sends his henchmen down and to Bethlehem, and all from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined for the wise men, he had them killed. And this was fulfilled, which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, Oh, a voice of, was heard in Ram, a lamentation, weeping in a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. It has prophecy that was fulfilled in the past, but now it's also referred to in Revelation chapter 12. It's part of, of the birth line of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, let's go to the second one. And that dream is really a trance vision that happened to Peter. We need to go to Acts chapter 10. So let's make our way over there, Acts 10. Something major is going to change for the Jewish people. Because up until this time, a Jew would believe that only a Jew could be saved. It was unimaginable that a Gentile could ever possibly get saved. Every Jew knows that's not possible. Well, verse nine says that Peter, the next day he went out on a journey and he drew near a city and Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheep bound at four corners, descending to him, let down to the earth. And it, and it had all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And what he is looking at is everything uh, from the book of Leviticus that was considered unclean for a Jew to eat. So I imagine there was a lot of bacon burgers on this uh, picnic blanket. That's what I'm guessing. And a lot of ham sandwiches. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. I'm a good Joe. I'm a good Jewish boy. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So obviously that's, that was on the blanket. And a voice came to him again and said, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. And so he's thinking about this, and uh, all the while there's this um, guy named Cornelius. He's a centurion, and he's a Gentile. And the Bible tells us he's a good guy, that he feared God, he prayed often, and he was generous. And um, we find... um, that an angel appears to him and he says, you need, to, you need to call for Peter because he's going to tell you what you must do. And this has always baffled me. I mean, here you've got an angel of God. He wants to get saved. But instead of using the angel, he says, no, you've got to call for this Peter guy. And the Lord has been preparing Peter's heart through this vision because a Jew could not go into a Gentile's house. And all of a sudden... 
he gets this message, hey, there's this Gentile, and he wants you to talk to him. And so the lights go on for Peter. He says, okay, Lord, I get it. They're unclean to us, but you, you somehow are saying they can, be, they can be cleansed, so I'll go with it. So he goes, and when he gets there, um, he starts sharing with them and about, uh, it was Simon the Tanner, this in, in Joppa, um, and verse 34, Peter opens his mouth and said, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And he, be, he begins to give them a Bible study. In verse um, 39, he, gave, he gives the gospel and we witnessed of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. And then God raised him from the dead on the third day, uh, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate with him, we drank with him, and he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, it was he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. And to him all the prophets witness that through him, whoever believes in him will have forgiveness of sins. And all of a sudden, um, the Holy Spirit interrupts the Bible study. Right in the middle of the Bible study, well, this was being said, when they heard about the forgiveness of sins, people that were gathered all of a sudden say, I believe that, I believe that. And as soon as they believed that, the Holy Spirit would come and fall upon them. That's verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, the Jews, who believed, well, they were, they were astonished. I would use the word, they were blown away. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, inconceivable. <laughs> For they heard them speak with tongues, they magnify God. And then Peter answered, can anybody forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Would you stick around and give us the ABCs, the basics here? And, and he gladly did so. Now, as we consider this great change in Jewish thinking, God used a dream to communicate to Peter, sort of an illustration, that I'm gonna do something that Jews won't accept, but I want you to do what I tell you to do. And it was all done through a vision and a dream. So it it really does beg the question, can God still speak to us through dreams and visions? Or, as some would teach, Now that we have the Bible, these supernatural sign gifts are no longer necessary. This is a a doctrine that's divisive in the church today. Some believe it, some don't. I would like you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Of course, this is the love chapter. Chapter 12 is all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, verse one of chapter 12 says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. 
One of the reasons we're gravitating to where we're going right now is because I don't want us to be ignorant when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Are they for today or not? When the Bible came, was that it? Don't we, we won't need them anymore? Well, in verse, picking it up in verse nine, after talking about love being so important, he says, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, um, many believe that which is perfect is a reference to the scripture. When you have the complete canon of scripture, it will no longer be necessary for these other gifts to be in existence because now we have God's word. And um, that, then that which is in part will be done away. Again, the context here is the gifts. Um, then he goes on to say, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish, childish things. And then he says, now we kind of see in a mirror dimly. We don't get it all right now. But then, someday, face to face. There's coming a time when we're with the Lord. He goes on to say, now I know in part. And then I shall know just as I am also known. The point here is now we know in part and we need help by God giving us his gifts so that we can have and be equipped for the work of ministry. So we want to say amen? All right, let me, let me just try to follow this trade of thought here. What's being implied is that the gifts will be done with once the Bible is completed. And if you just look at chapter 12, it's in the last part of it, Paul is sort of winding it up. And my question, if the, the, the gifts are gone, then he says in verse, concerning the gift, um, verse 28, God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, then teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, helps administration, variety of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? The idea is, no, everybody doesn't have the same gift. But these gifts are given to build up the church, all right? And so we need them now. So the question is, back to that which is perfect, if it's the Bible, which some people believe it is, I do not believe it's the Bible. I believe that which is perfect is Jesus Christ. And when we see him, we won't need to have the gift of the interpretation of tongues because we will know as we are known. We won't need it any longer. So I wanted to go there and deal with that. And how do I say this? I want you to desire, as it says, and be open and actually pray that the Lord would give you gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, does God give dreams today, or are they only the one that Solomon speaks of that are sort of quirky, wake up in the morning, you think it's Donald Trump, you know, you never know. No. 
And I'll begin to wind up by telling this story about how Bastia got saved. Bastia's father was in the voodoo. He was a voodoo leader in the the part of Haiti that is the most extreme part into voodoo. And when we would go down there in the early days, you could still hear them beating their drums in the middle of the night and opening themselves up to demonic spirits. And Bastia fell very, very ill, gravely ill. And in another village, I've met this man, he's tall and slender, God gave him a dream. And he told him to go to that particular house and knock on the door and say, God gave me a dream and he showed me your son in this dream and he's very sick. And the Lord told me to come and pray for him. He prayed for him and Bastia was immediately healed to the point that his dad got saved as a result Therefore, mom got saved as a result. Uh, He became a pastor in that region, and he was there till the day that he died at the age of 48. He finished a Sunday morning message, walked out of the pulpit, had a heart attack, and went to heaven. What a way to go. What a great way to go. But here's a praise report this morning. You know, we've been trying to raise all this money for this water project down there. And we had 50,000 of it raised, and maybe a little bit more. And um, some woman who's a CEO of some big corporation in Southern California heard about it. We needed $88,000, we had about 50. And um, I'm here to tell you this morning that the rest has been taken care of, and we're going full speed ahead with our water project. And this will produce water in this area where every day you take a five-gallon bucket and you you dig for your water. And those days will be over. And that just happened just a couple days ago. And I never heard of this woman before, and and that's an answer to prayer. But all that to say this, this all happened because of a dream. And one guy who obeyed, and the Lord supernaturally healed. Question, are the gifts still for today? Oh, yeah. In America, they're sort of dumbed down because uh, we don't seek them because we seek a lot of other things instead. And it's really as simple as that. Uh, Down there, there's not a whole lot to do at night. (laughs) So they drink rum and they go out in the woods and open themselves up to demonic spirits. They got a lot of time on their hands. Uh, Here, um, we, we don't seek them as we should. I don't want to try to lay any guilt trips on anybody this morning. That's just the reality, I think, of the culture that we live in. Now, I'm going to close this morning where I think there needs to be striking a balance in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There is kind of a reason I put Benny Hinn up on the screen this morning with his coat and people are getting blown away. That is not decently and it's not in order and I believe it's all charlatanism, personally. And if you read the last verse of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, it says, let all things be done decently in order. But I want to be careful that we never throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to desiring spiritual gifts. We began the study this morning by saying God at various times, various ways, spoken times past by the prophets. Has in his last days spoken to us by his son who he has appointed heir over all things and he also made the world. Our emphasis at Calvary Chapel primarily and first of all is the word of God first 
and then the works of the Spirit second. And I'm going back to a letter because we had a division in 1981. Certain people were experiencing supernatural signs and wonders. And they began to gravitate towards services being primarily about that. Where we've always been tutored under Chuck that the primary thing we do is we teach through the chap- Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and then we watch the Lord do whatever he wants to. But Chuck addressed it. And I kept this letter August 17th, 1981. And he sent it out. There wasn't as many Calvary pastors as there was then. But I kept it all these years because he made a prophecy himself that actually came to pass if we got sidetracked from who we are. And I'm just going to read the last paragraph to you this, this morning. Chuck says, it's been drawn to my attention that some of the pastors feel that I've been guilty of quenching the spirit of some of the Calvary chapels or their ministries. We want to assure you that we have no desire to quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the real power of the church is found in the Holy Spirit working through the word of God in the lives of the believers in God. I do believe that if you have only the word of God working in the lives of the believers, that you are missing the, the vital, a very vital ingredient. I also feel that if you have the Holy Spirit working in the believers of God's, without God's word, there are also missing a very important ingredient. And then he says, I feel that it is important that we recognize that Calvary chapels are not another Pentecostal church. If you desire to emphasize the experience aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit, it would be probably well if you seek an affiliation with Pentecostal churches, Assembly of Gods, Foursquare, the Church of God, because they seem to have the more experience-oriented type of ministry, where I believe that Calvary Chapel has basically been established by God to fill the broad gap between the Baptist and the Pentecostal churches. We have the Spirit of God working, but the real emphasis is on a solid foundation of the word of God being the basis through which the spirit works as he confirms the word with signs following. But when you reverse the order where the experience and the signs become the primary thrust, then you're moving more towards the Pentecostal position and you should seriously consider dropping the affiliation or relation with Calvary Chapel, especially dropping the use of the name Calvary Chapel. We pray for each of you that God will guide you in your ministry and will continue his blessing upon your churches and upon your own walk and relation with him. We so look forward to the opportunity of being with you who will be able to be going to Israel with us. This was part of the letter, um, the first part of December. I was able to be on a trip in 81 with Chuck. Um, And then, and I'll close with this. The next year at the pastor's conference, because of this letter, Chuck uh, ended the conference by saying, guys, this is why I wrote this. And um, there were those who decided to move away and become something other than Calvary Chapel. They're called the Vineyard Movement today. And they've pretty much come and gone. But Chuck said, guys, if, if you go down that road, 
and you put the experience over the word, and you don't have that healthy balance, he says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have to take your people from one experience to another experience to another experience to another experience, each more dramatic than the one before, if that's where you put your emphasis. Now, I, I got notes down here that uh, I've, I wrote, this was 25 years, years ago. Now I found out this morning I did the math. It's actually 34 years ago now. But this is what, what I've seen happen. I watched the uh, vineyard start. I watched the holy laughter movement start in Toronto, signs and wonders, and then it went to inner healings. And then there was a movement where everybody was casting demons out of people. Demon, demon, everybody's got a demon. The Kansas City prophets um, started, and they're still going strong with uh, their false prophets. Um, uh, the Toronto Blessing, the Brownsville Revival, etc., etc., etc. So as we have a Bible study about dreams this morning, here we are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Do we dream silly dreams? Boy, I sure do. And I know for sure my wife does. <laughs> and yet, does God still speak and can he still work supernaturally, naturally? Answer, amen, he does and he will. But it's interesting that Paul, in winding this all up, he says, seek after these things. If you're zealous, seek for them. If you seek for them, then, then he'll give you what he wants to give you. And you'll be more effective and hopefully have a well-balanced diet between the word of God and being used by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close with that. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we just stumble upon these scriptures that explain to us that most of the dreams that we have really just come about from daily activity, things we think about, and things that have happened in our life that particular day. But then on the other hand, Lord, we see that in times past, and even today, you're still able to do uh, supernatural works, including giving us dreams and visions. And we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.